Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is America on the Road, named best radio show by the International Automotive Media Conference, and now in its 30th year on the air. Thanks for being with us as we bring you the latest automotive information from around the world. If you drive an older Hyundai or Kia model, you'll want to hear the details of a recall of more than 3 million vehicles. The issue? They might catch on fire. So owners are asked to park them outside. We'll have the details. A Reuters report shows that traditional automakers aren't making much headway in the fight to wrest electric car dominance from Tesla. We'll have the intriguing figures for you coming up. Maybe a little surprising. If you're intending to buy a used car soon, you might be forced to set your sights much lower than you might have anticipated. We'll tell you the sad facts, why the sad facts are the sad facts coming up. America on the Road is brought to you by DrivingToday.com, YourTestDriver.com, Yamlancy.com, the publisher of my latest book, Dance in the Dark, and Mercury Insurance. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of $670 with Mercury, so imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at drivingtoday.com slash auto insurance. That's drivingtoday.com slash auto hyphen insurance. I'm Jack Red. With me is co-host Chris Teague. Chris is editor of yourtestdriver.com and, of course, our co-host here on America on the Road. Uh, Chris, October is uh, rolling right, right into us here. Are the trees changing color in your neck of the woods? They are, Jack, and we're down in the, the low 40s uh, overnight, so things are definitely getting ready to change here. But I did want to tell you an experience that I've had recently with the car that I bought, the Volkswagen Golf R. Um, I'm having a, a Lemon Law buyback initiated with Volkswagen on this car. They're going to come take it. Uh, actually, I'm taking it to the dealer in a couple of weeks. Uh, but quite an interesting experience on that front. But uh, that's been the only entertain, entertaining thing happening here. How about you? Yeah, it seems like kind of an entertainment I don't really want to have, but, uh, you know, some kind of entertainment there. Things have been going well here. I took a, a trip with my wife to visit two of my daughters in the uh, Dallas-Fort Worth area. Saw the SMU-TCU football game, among other things. Uh, saw a baseball game. It was just a rodeo. It was filled with stuff. My wife was the greatest travel agent of all time, so that was a lot of fun. As you longtime listeners know, Chris lives at one end of the country. I live at the other. Each week we get together to talk about cars, the car industry, and how to get the most for your automotive dollar. And we review some cars. If you'd like to know what cars, trucks, and SUVs really get their owner's heart rates pumping, We'll have the perfect guest for you this week. His name is Frank Hanley. He is Senior Director of Auto Benchmarking at J.D. Power. He's been on the show before. We'll talk with him about the results of the company's appeal study that measures car owners' emotional attachment to their cars. You're certainly emotionally attached to your cars, Chris, right? <laughs> in in positive or negative ways, I think, with this uh, buyback coming along. Yeah, I'm pretty good at cutting ties when the time comes, though. So <laughs> I've already written this one off. Yeah, well, there you go. Reviewing cars is one of the things we do best. And Chris, uh, you're going to tell us about a vehicle that you're reviewing this week. Yeah, I might not have been able to drive my Golf R, but I was able to drive a nice performance car in the 2024 Toyota GR86. A little bit slower than the Golf R, but pretty nice overall, and I can't wait to tell you about it. Yeah, well, I look forward to talking about that. Kind of a 
undersung car, I think, but uh, we'll talk about that in the road test segment. My road test vehicle is a full-size SUV that I tested as I was in Fort Worth doing all these things that I just alluded to. Uh, I'll be reviewing the 2023 Toyota Sequoia Capstone. The Toyota Sequoia is all new for 2023, so I'll give you the details on that. That's coming up later in the show. But let's dive into this recall because it's a big deal. And if you have one of these older Kia or Hyundai vehicles, uh, there are some risks involved. They're recalling 3.37 million U.S. vehicles. And what happens is uh, apparently internal brake fluid leaks can cause an electrical short that in turn can lead to a fire. I mean, that's a lot of things that have to happen. And uh, But apparently this has happened uh, enough times that they're doing a recall, right, Chris? Yeah, I mean, they don't typically do these sorts of things without some indication that it could be or has been a problem. I mean, these are a lot of big name models here. I'm looking at this, the Optima uh, from 2011 to 2015, uh, the Borrego. I haven't thought about one of those in a long time, the Kia SUV from many years ago. Um, but this just shows that, you know, uh, gas vehicles still catch on fire more than EVs, despite uh, what people think. <laughs> yeah, 21 fire. 21 other thermal incidents, quote unquote, according to Hyundai, and Kia has had 10 confirmed fires. Maybe we should read off the names of the vehicles involved because uh, if you have one, <laughs> you don't want it to catch fire in your garage, I can tell you that. Uh, they are the Kia Borrego, Cadenza, Forte, Sportage, K900, Optima, Soul, Rio, Sorento, and Rondo. These are from 2010 through 2017, so more recent models are not. Uh, involved. And then Hyundai is recalling the Elantra Genesis Coupe, Sonata Hybrid Accent, Azera Veloster, Santa Fe, Equus, Veracruz, Tucson, Tucson Fuel Cell, and Santa Fe Sport Vehicles. These are model years 2011 through 2015. So again, not recent models, but uh, it's wild stuff when this happens, right? Uh, and who knows? I guess it can always happen, yeah. right? Some of these are involved in the uh, Kia and Hyundai theft incidents that, that you may have heard of in the past. So hopefully the people stealing these cars parked them away from the, their structures as well. So, Or when they were in them, they caught fire. I mean, uh, <laughs> well, we're not, <laughs> not wishing that on, Yeah, we're not wishing that on anybody, uh, even car thieves. Uh, I'd rather not have them <laughs> catch fire, I suppose. Well, here's some analysis from Reuters that I think is worthy of comment. And this is from uh, two guys I know, actually, two really good reporters, Paul Leinert and Joseph White, reporting in, in Reuters. And they took a look at EV sales and at Tesla sales and then the sales of all the uh, competitors to Tesla. And what they found was the competitors don't hold a candle to the sales of what's going on with, uh, with Tesla. Tesla just dominates this in a way that even beyond the way uh, General Motors used to dominate the market in the 1960s. I mean, it's pretty wild stuff here. Uh, how many more vehicles Tesla has sold uh, than the, the next closest rival? It's, it's really amazing. Isn't it? it is. You know, I think, and you may disagree with this, I think there are probably a few reasons behind that, right? Tesla was obviously the first major, uh, you know, full-line EV automaker. Uh, they kind of jumped in with the Model S, and then they've had the Model 3 and the Model Y for a while, so they're very well known. They've got a lot of brand, they have a lot of strength in the brand, despite what people think about Elon Musk. The, the Tesla brand itself is stronger than than the EV uh, brands like the Ionic brand and all those things that Hyundai and, and others are rolling out. And they still offer a very reasonably uh, affordable uh, vehicle. The Model 3 and the Model Y both qualify for tax credits. Um, and they're cheaper than a lot of the competing models. So, you know, I think they got a lot of things going for them, despite what people sort of think. Yeah, and you uh, you could say, too, Chris, that their technology is better than even the, that developed by 
uh, the major automakers. Uh, you know, I do a lot of comparison test writing, and uh, when I look at just uh, charge times and range and, and those kind of things, even though I think uh, Tesla maybe is a little optimistic about <laughs> their range predictions, Tesla models really come out quite well, and as you say, very cost-effectively. And that's reflected in the market. I mean, here, let me give you some numbers to, to back that up. In the first half of this year, Tesla sold 200,000 Model Ys, and 160,000 Model 3s. The next closest competitor was the Chevy Bolt, which is going out of production. They sold three, uh, 35,000 of them. Ford Mustang Mach-E was 13,600. So just not even holding a candle to what Tesla has been able to do, despite the fact that uh, in a lot of ways, these are newer products. Yeah, and in some ways, you know, we could blame maybe the supply chain issues and battery problems and things like that. But uh, it does show that, like I said, the strength that Tesla has built and the fact that, you know, people people are looking for cost savings where they can. EVs are still too expensive, Jack. I mean, I don't care what anybody says. Even with the tax credit, even next year when you're able to apply the tax credit as a down payment, I still think these are going to be struggle. People are going to struggle to pay for these things. Yeah, and I think uh, it's coming home to roost. I mean, Ford just pushed the pause button on its battery factory. Uh, they're losing a uh, billion dollars or more on their EV sales. It's got to have a lot of uh, manufacturers scratching their head. And I'll tell you what is having consumers scratching their head is uh, buying a used car. I mean, they're really expensive. And it's not so much that used cars are super expensive now, although used cars went up in, in price during the, the COVID-19 pandemic. But uh, other factors are are rolling in to make people kind of set their, their sights lower on used vehicles. The report is that people are intentionally doing this. I, I'm not sure if intentional as much as they're just going, what can I afford? And they find that it's more like a four or five-year-old used car than it is a three-year-old used car. What's your comment on that? Yeah, that's true. And you know what's funny is it's not that the four or five-year-old used cars are extremely affordable these days. It's that their prices have increased more slowly or less quickly, I guess, whatever you want to say, uh, than newer models. So they're still climbing in price. They're just not doing it as, as fast. Yeah, I mean, people are getting clobbered by inflation. Uh, that is a big problem. Uh, rising interest rates are then <laughs> the, the double whammy, right? I mean, there's inflation, and then to try to control inflation, the government has sent uh, interest rates up. I don't know that it's doing a great job at controlling inflation, but <laughs> it's adding another cost factor to anybody who's borrowing money. And it also, you know, hurts employers. So um, there's a lot of problems, I think, right now in the, in the car market that uh, may come home to roost, I think, uh, over the course of the next uh, several months. Yeah, and I think you know you could probably even extend that to the next few years, right? I mean, people have been saying that we would start seeing some regulation in the pricing near the end of 2023. Well, we're there now, and things are still crazy. So, uh, who knows what the used market's going to look like in a couple of years when these the shortage of lease turn-ins and things uh, start to surface, and and there is even more of a shortage of used models. So, uh, <laughs> I may not replace my Golf R anytime soon. I'll say that. There you go. Well, that's an excellent point. Uh, that we're going to see uh, limited supply of used vehicles because we saw limited supply of new vehicles over the course of the last two or three years. Well, here is a new vehicle that's been introduced. It is the Genesis GV80 Coupe. Uh, what's your quick take on that? It's an interesting uh, Ford utility. I think it is an amazingly gorgeous vehicle that I wish <laughs> I wish more automakers took the time to design vehicles that look like that because, man, it's stunning. It really is stunning and some stunning technology in it, too. We can maybe get, get to that in an upcoming show, but I can't wait to drive both of these GV80s. Uh, we reviewed the previous GV80, which is still a very stunning vehicle in, uh, I think, last week's show. 
But when we come back, we're going to be diving into some road tests. We're going to be road testing the Toyota GR86, a little sports car, very cool. And I was driving the Toyota Sequoia. So stay with us for that. And we'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back to America on the Road with Chris T. Jack. We're right back with you. And it is road test time on America on the Road. And we do appreciate you joining us here on America on the Road. We also appreciate you sharing America on the Road with somebody who you think might like the show. Uh, passing it along uh, helps a lot. So uh, we do appreciate that. And the show's been growing recently quite well. So uh, we thank you for that. We have you to thank for that as listeners. We appreciate that. And let's dive into this road test. You've got a cool car. And I think kind of an underappreciated vehicle. Uh, tell us how, how you appreciate it. Yeah, I spent the week driving the 2024 Toyota GR86. Jack, I have to tell you, I fielded more questions about this car, uh, just having it sitting out front of my house, I think, than any other in recent time. Uh, I think the, you know, the the big thing that people think is that it's a Supra. In fact, that was the question that I got probably five times. Is that a Supra? Is that a Toyota Supra? Um, it is not a Toyota Supra, uh, but it's still a pretty fun car. So these things start around $30,000. I tested the premium model. It's going around $32,000. Um, all in, and that's got all the options. Toyota doesn't offer any packages. You can get like upgraded floor mats and things, but no, no options packages there. The cool thing about this car, Jack, it was all new um, a couple of years ago. They redesigned it and gave it more power. So the outgoing model had around 200 horsepower, 156 pounds of torque. Those are okay figures. I think a lot of people ended up turbocharging, supercharging, and looking for more power from these cars. Uh, but the new car, they upped it from that to 228 horsepower and 184 pounds of torque. Uh, still comes standard with a six-speed manual. You can still get it with a, an automatic, and rear-wheel drive is still standard. I have to tell you, this thing feels, and I drove the Subaru BRZ, which is the twin of this car, uh, a few months ago. This car feels 100% livelier, livelier than its predecessor. It's uh, it's easier to drive, I think. The extra power it gives you, you don't have to drive it as hard, right? You can kind of, uh, you don't have to concentrate on dragging out all the power. Although 228 is not like a massive amount of horsepower here. Uh, I do want to get your opinion though, Jack. Have you driven either the BRZ or the GR86, the new ones? I have, and uh, I think they're really terrific. Uh, and again, uh, this is a, a vehicle that, I think a lot of us who like driving can just really appreciate. And, you know, it's a car you can drive pretty hard, right? And you take kind of toward its limits. You don't want to go 100% toward its limits anywhere on the street. But, uh, you know, it's so much fun to drive, I think. Yeah, it makes all the right noises. It's got the right feel. It handles great. The ride's a little rough, but you'd expect that from a car of this type. And I think, honestly, Jack, any car that's still available with a six-speed manual transmission and rear-wheel drive with two doors uh, I think this should be praised, uh, you know, although this one is worth its praise on, on other merits as well. Uh, so zero to 16 around six seconds, so not mind blowingly quick in any, by any measure. Um, but it makes the right sounds. Like I said, so you feel engaged in this car. It feels a little raw. It's loud. Uh, you're low to the ground and you, it's got good steering feel. So it's definitely got that sort of Miata esque, you know, connection to the driving experience, which I really appreciate. Uh, it's even better than, you know, my golf, which feels like you're sitting a little bit in a computer at times. Uh, you feel a little disconnected. This car doesn't have, um, any of that, um, inside the car has, it's got black synthetic suede that comes standard with the premium trim. It's a really nice feeling upholstery. It grips you into the seats. The front seats are deep. They're nicely bolstered. Uh, I'm a little wide for them, but that's a me problem, not a Toyota GR86 problem. 
Uh, and we didn't even try to use the back seats, Jack. They are there and you can see them, but <laughs> I didn't even want to try to access them. I think that uh, my kids at six and 10 years old are already sort of outgrown that that level of a back seat. Since it's based on a Subaru and shares a lot of its parts, it feels like a Subaru inside. All the door dings, the safety warnings, those are all Subaru. You can hear them and, and feel it, uh, which is an interesting sensation in a Toyota. Even the key is a Subaru key, just a Toyota logo on the outside of it. Not super nice, Jack. I think, you know, for around 32 grand is exactly what I expected. There's a lot of hard plastics, uh, some cheaper materials, but, you know, this car's about the driving experience, and I think the interior serves that purpose. Like, it drives you to focus on the drive. You're not uh, looking at, you know, nice wood trim and things inside of it. Um, seven inch digital gauge cluster, eight inch touchscreen. Everything works well here. You know, it's very responsive. I like the infotainment software. You got Apple CarPlay, Android Auto, Bluetooth, Sirius XM, the whole range there. Um, you know, I think for the price, this thing's a steal. And, you know, dealers aren't marking these things up. I took a look this morning. There are a bunch of these things for sale and they're all at MSRP. Uh, so I think if you're looking for a performance car and you don't want to spend 40, 50 on a Nissan Z or a Toyota Supra. Uh, this is a great entry-level car. You can get a good feel for the stick, the manual transmission, and be engaged and, and have a great time for not too much money. Yeah, I mean, it's not the most opulent car, but I think that's good. I mean, they put the money into the performance. Uh, the interior is nice. It's just not, you know, super luxurious. And do we really need leather seats? Do we, you know, probably not. Yeah, I think to a degree, you know, you pay a little bit too much for cars like the Golf R, Golf GTI, like the Supra, like, you know, the Honda Civic Type R because of those things. Um, but this car's got great focus and, and you can't really fault it for that. Yeah, like it a lot. So, and uh, the vehicle I liked a lot this week was the uh, new Toyota Sequoia. After, you know, umpteen years of being the same, it is... Uh, completely changed for your uh, 2023 model year and and for the better in many many ways in in both size uh, in powertrain uh safety equipment just uh, all around better as you would expect from something that's uh, now 12 <laughs> 12 years newer but um this is a full-size traditional suv truck-based suv yet it's not powered by a v8 v8 engine anymore it has a a uh, hybrid six-cylinder which is is nice and adds to the the overall goodness of this thing, because the fuel economy is pretty good. It's not startlingly good, by the way, but I'll, I'll get to that. I was driving a capstone version. It's available in five trim levels, starting with the SR5. There's the Limited, the Platinum, the Capstone, and the TRD Pro, which is the specialty off-roader. The Capstone, I guess, is the the highest priced of the kind of general interest uh, versions of the Sequoia. As I mentioned, it has a 3.5 liter V6 hybrid engine or hybrid powertrain. It's not really a hybrid engine. Uh, 437 horsepower, which is quite a bit. Uh, 583 pound-feet of torque, even more. Uh, 10-speed automatic transmission. So, you know, this is a peppy vehicle. I never uh, felt at a loss for power in this thing. Rear drive or four-wheel drive across the lineup, except for the TRD Pro, which of course is uh, four-wheel drive only, can tow up to 9,500 pounds or so. And the fuel economy is not as uh, startlingly good as maybe uh, one might expect, but it's, you know, this is a, a powertrain hauling around <laughs> quite a big vehicle with a lot of stuff in it. 21 miles per gallon during this, uh, in city driving, 24 miles per gallon on the highway. So certainly better than, say, a, a full-size vehicle like a Chevy Tahoe with a V8 engine, uh, but it's not up in the 30 or 40 mile per gallon range. I think a lot of people would be quite satisfied with the SR5, which is the entry level. In this case, the entry level, though, costs $60,000 plus uh, destination. So uh, that's, that's a bit of a 
a hunk of money to, to shell out, but it's got a, a ton of great stuff in it, uh, including the hybrid engine, of course, 18-inch wheels, LED lights, heated side mirrors, sunroof, moonroof, automatic climate control, you know, a lot, of, a lot of good stuff. When you go to the capstone level, which is at 76000 almost $77,000, you get cooler stuff like 22-inch wheels, a different grill. You get power extending running boards that I used uh, extensively because uh, it helped with the climb up and, and my aged body. Uh, nice, nice interior seating. This was just a great vehicle. We had, a, uh, there were a couple of couples, two couples, I guess is an easier way to say that. And then uh, my kids occasionally would ride along with us. So we used uh, six passenger seating in this vehicle. I just, uh, you know, thought it was terrific. What's your take on the new Sequoia? I think it's great. You know, the last one was nice, but it was a little rough around the edges. It had, you know, besides being almost 17 years old or however many years old it was, uh, it just felt a little clunky inside. The new one feels more refined, feels more luxurious. And I don't think Toyota gave anything up by moving from a V8 to the turbocharged and even the hybrid uh, V6, other than the sound, which wasn't that important. Anyway, you get more torque out of the new powertrain, and I'm, I'm totally on board with the new Sequoia, Jack. Yeah, the new powertrain was very, very good. The 10-speed automatic was just smooth as silk. I just love this uh, vehicle a lot. Uh, great entertainment system now, no problem, uh, you know, connecting phones and, you know, making directions work <laughs> through both Google Maps and Apple Maps and, you know, comparing problems with the uh, with both uh, in terms of estimation of time, uh, you know, they both estimated that I could get to the airport 20 minutes before I was actually able to get there. Well, how, you know, I, what's the matter with them? Come on, uh, give me something better than that. But uh, overall, I liked it a lot, and uh, certainly that was no fault of the car. I think both both winners this time around, both from Toyota, the GR86 and the Toyota Sequoia, uh, both terrific vehicles. So. I agree. And interestingly, um, just we have a little bit of time left in the segment, Jack, I wanted to bring this up. Uh, you know, the move to the V6 is interesting because Toyota kind of did this ahead of other automakers. Jeep announced, uh, or there's a report out this morning, that Jeep's moving away from the V8s for the wa- the Wagoneer and the Grand Wagoneer. So uh, I think it's only a matter of time before we start to see the other full-size SUVs, maybe even the Suburban and, and the Tahoe and the Yukon moving into turbocharged or even hybrid territory there. So uh, like I said, you know, I think it's important to note that, and you said this several times too, that you don't give anything up. You, you still retain the towing and the power there too. So um, the power train, train is fantastic. I can't wait to, to try it. I've driven it in the new yeah. uh, the new Tundra, but not the Sequoia. Mm-hmm. And it shares a lot, of course, with the new Tundra. And that's why they were able to do many of the cool things that they did. And uh, when we come back, we're going to have a terrific guest. His name is Frank Hanley. He's Senior Director of Auto Benchmarking at J.D. Power. We're going to be talking about the appeal study that measures people's emotional connection with their cars. Certainly something we endorse here on America on the Road, so stay with us for that. And uh, we'll be right back with Frank Hanley. Stay with us. Inner peace, self-respect, emotional fulfillment. Are you finding these worthwhile goals difficult to achieve? Are you looking for success and satisfaction in your job but not finding it? Are you thinking about starting a business but don't know what will set it apart from all the others? You can continue to struggle on your own, or you can unleash the undeniable power of the GR Factor. I'm Jack Arney Red, host of America on the Road. For years, I've found success in business and in my personal life by using the concepts I outline clearly in my book, The GR Factor. Your best self is inside you right now, just waiting to be unleashed inspiring all that is the best in you 
The GR Factor will guide your journey, elevate your game, recast your relationships, and transform your daily life. If you want to change your life for the better, read The GR Factor. It's available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and at emlancy.com. That's The GR Factor by Jack Arney Red. Thanks for checking it out. Welcome back to America on the Road. Jack Arney Red back with you. And we have a terrific guest for you talking about something that's, I think, really interesting. And it's people's emotional uh, attachment with their vehicles. Uh, this is gauged by J.D. Power in their vehicle performance execution and layout study or appeal study. It's a lot easier to call it appeal study, isn't it? And our guest is Frank Frank Hanley. He's Senior Director of Auto Benchmarking at J.D. Power. Frank, thanks so much for being with us. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, appeal study, tell us a bit about it. It's kind of the the, uh, opposite side of the coin, I guess, to uh, initial quality, perhaps. Uh, Tell us about that. Yeah, so the initial quality study that came out a month ago, I mean, really measures the problems people had with their vehicle. Um, and it, as you said, this is kind of the opposite side of the coin now, looking at the appeal. You know, it's kind of their passion around their vehicle, how satisfied with it they are, you know, what they really like, what they don't like with the vehicle. It, it's definitely much more of that emotional connection with the vehicle uh, than just strictly looking at problems. Yeah, and, and these emotions might include anger this time around, right? I mean, it, it doesn't seem as if uh, the connection is all that great. In fact, uh, things are getting worse, aren't they? No, it's it's not getting uh, better for customers out there for sure. I mean, after all the problems we saw in IQS and the decline in, um, of the industry that way with the number of problems customers are having, uh, we kind of see it in the satisfaction side now too a month later. You know, that declines now for the second time in a row too. Um, it's actually the first time in the study's um, you know 28-year history that we've actually had two years of industry satisfaction decline in a row. So, uh, you know, some some not so good things going on out there in the industry for sure. Well, how do you account for that? I mean, what's what's really driving that uh, within the... Um, I mean, one of the things we're, we're seeing, that one of the biggest ones is, is really around the infotainment systems in the car. Um, you know, they're just not really resonating with customers anymore, um, especially with the Android Auto and CarPlay capabilities anymore. We see a lot more customers using those than they have in the past and preferring to use them over the, the in-vehicle system. So, um, you know, we actually have 10 categories in appeal, uh, and infotainment is the second uh, lowest rated category. Um, only fuel economy is worse. And um, you can imagine with, with gas prices, um, you know, how that is. So um, infotainment is not great. And that actually declined this year even further. So uh, definitely some problems out there with the radios and cars right now. Do you have a sense that it's because the systems uh, are not working well or just people don't understand how to use them? I mean, certainly they know how to use their smartphone, right? And maybe that's why they default to that. I think that's part of it. I mean, the smartphone, they're just so used to it at this point. And, and with the systems now they'll just mirror what's on your smartphone on your radio so um, you know it's just you learn one way and you don't have to learn something else uh, with just being able to put it on your radio Uh, I mean one of the other things we're seeing too is um, because your phone's always connected obviously to um, you know the cloud-based systems anymore you know the navigation's more accurate voice recognition's better because they're connected system versus you know navigation on your car where you know it's only as good as the last map update you got so um, these connected services on the phone are definitely giving better information for, to people more accurate information 
So that's part of why we think they're trying, you know, preferring to use those instead as well. Yeah, I mean, when you're living in a big urban area, as, as we both do, we live in different urban areas, but, but big ones, uh, having that real-time traffic that uh, the smartphone can provide is a, a big, big advantage, isn't it? Exactly. So, I mean, that that's a big thing with, with the navigation on the phone is being able to have, you know, the live traffic, the, the, the up-to-date maps as to when a road is closed or something that, you know, updates regularly is, is, is really key. So... Yeah, that's where you can see those customers are definitely going that that route for sure. Right. Are there other areas that uh, seem to be very problematic? Uh, one of the other areas that we saw this year that's a big decline actually was actually getting in and out of the vehicle <laughs> got worse. Um, <laughs> um, you know, this one we were actually joking about, like, is it just because COVID and all, you know, we all got bigger and gained weight over COVID. So we're just having a harder time getting in and out of the car now is you know, we have to do that. So that, that was an interesting one to see, you know, get worse uh, by a little bit for a lot of manufacturers. So it, it's interesting how things are changing. Why? Wow. I, I mean, that's kind of a strange one, right? I mean, the cars aren't, uh, vehicles are not radically different one year to the next. So your ability to get in and out should be pretty similar. Yeah, I think. exactly. So for the fact that that would decline definitely is something to go on, you know, with the consumers and, and um, how we've changed, not the cars changed. <laughs> Right, right. Do you think that uh, people are just a little crankier about their vehicles overall? It, it kind of strikes me maybe that's the case. It, it's kind of seeming that way that we're kind of in like a, a COVID hangover almost where, <laughs> you know, we're all just a little bit still testy on stuff. And, and, and one of the other things is, you know, customers are paying a lot more for their vehicles right now. Um, you know, prices are at an all-time high. They have higher expectations and, you know, those satisfactions just aren't there with that. So I think I think that's part of it also is, you know, they're paying more than they've ever paid for their vehicle and um, they're, they're not really understanding why it's so much more expensive than what they've paid in the past. Right. One of the things I, I uh, found really interesting in, in looking over the uh, release on the study was that Tesla had declined. And, you know, Tesla has always had such customer enthusiasm. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, Tesla, I mean, they still do very well in the study, but they did decline this year. Um so we were that was a very interesting thing to see them decline um, by nine points overall. So it's a thousand point scale. They got worse by nine points. Uh, and they actually declined in every area of the car, fuel economy, exterior, interior, everything got worse on the Tesla. One of the things definitely is if you think about Tesla, they really haven't redesigned their cars in a long time. I mean, you think exterior styling, which is one of the areas that saw the larger decline, that exterior styling has been the same for, well, since they launch the cars. So, I mean, people are, are primed for a redesign of these cars and some freshening of them. Um, I mean, we're also seeing they are starting to see a, a shift in their customer base with the lower prices they've offered now. And they've, they've already got those early adopters who they were going to get. So they're now getting some of those mainstream buyers who aren't as accepting of some of the things that they've done with, you know, no hard buttons and everything in the radio, lots of controls without labels on steering wheels and stuff. So we're definitely seeing those more mainstream buyers coming into Tesla and not being as happy as those. Um, you know, initial early adopters that were in the past. Yeah. Why, why don't we turn the page and talk about uh, some brands and, and models that uh, did pretty well? I mean, it, it strikes me that a lot of the Korean brands or uh, Hyundai, Kia, I guess those are the Korean brands, really kind of scored pretty well in terms of overall uh, emotional appeal. Yeah, I mean, Kia did really well this year. Kia had, um, of all the segments we have, they've won seven segment awards this year. That's the most for any brand ever in the study history. So uh, pretty impressive accomplishment for them. You chose, you know, their their 
recent designs are really resonating with people. They're really happy with with the interior materials and radios they're executing. So Kia is Kia is doing very well in the industry right now for sure. Yeah, and then Genesis had uh, you know, GV60 is their uh, electric vehicle, uh, electric crossover did quite well, I guess, and the. The Santa Cruz, which is an interesting vehicle from Hyundai, kind of a, a, a small pickup truck, uh, also got a lot of enthusiasm. Yeah. So, I mean, they actually, Hyundai ended up, the Hyundai Motor Group ended up actually winning nine. So, uh, awards between all those. So, um, very impressive year for that, that corporation, for sure. You know, we actually had five electric vehicles who won awards this year. So, despite the number of quality problems we're seeing with those electric vehicles, you know, the emotional appeal is definitely resonating with those five winners. So um, definitely impressive there for the electric vehicles as well. Uh, we definitely see the powertrain and the, you know, the electric motors and the instantaneous speed. Customers are definitely really responding to that uh, with some very, very high powertrain scores and, and engine scores for those vehicles. So, um, you know, very impressive results for those those five vehicles. Yeah, I see that Nissan Araya was one of those. And, uh, you, you know, that's a vehicle that hasn't been that high profile up till now, not necessarily selling all that well, but I guess the people who buy them really like them. Yeah, I mean, that was an impressive launch right out of the box for them to come out. You know, they've had the Leaf for a while now to launch their all new one. Um, and it to take the top spot is a pretty impressive for them to come out like they did. Kind of uh, looking over the other <laughs> other side of this too. Uh, uh, Dodge was the highest ranking mass market brand and you know continuing for a long time at the same time i think it's about to flip its product mix pretty significantly talk about that if you would yeah so dodge did end up coming in you know the top spot um you know a lot of their vehicles are still with challenger charger very sports cars sports cars tend to obviously have a lot of passion around them so they do very well but that's definitely a brand that's you know going to change this year challenger charger are going away you know the hornets coming in as their new vehicle so um, definitely going to be a big change for that brand next year and as they start you know putting their toes into the electric uh, vehicles also with some of the, the things that they have planned coming out so what are some of the things you thought were most telling about the study this year frank um i think just the decline again that i mean customers just aren't happy with with what they're seeing we were really surprised um you know new launches usually do well in the study i mean when a new car launches it's all new customers have a lot of passion about it love the exterior styling and this year the new car launches did not do all that well um the average score for a new car was right about where it was for carryover models so that was kind of surprising that these launches that occurred this year you know for for a lot of them were not really resonating that well with customers so that that was really kind of surprising because Usually something new launches, the public's all, you know, excited about it and stuff. And that, that just wasn't the case this year. Do you have a sense that cars are just too complicated these days? Uh, maybe people can't grasp everything that they're offering? Uh, it's funny when we actually, we actually ask all kinds of verbatims and comments for customers. And they said, you know, a lot of it's funny when you read some and they are just go, I just want a radio. I don't need all this functionality. I just want to listen to the radio. Well, interesting stuff. Frank Hanley, Senior Director of Auto Benchmarking at J.D. Power. Thanks so much for being with us. I, I always love talking to you about this stuff, Frank. Uh, we can go on and on. I <laughs> yeah, no problem. Glad to be able to contribute. And uh, stay with us, everybody. We'll be right back right here on America on the Road. Welcome back to America on the Road. Jack Red Bank with you along with Chris Teague. And uh, it is the portion of the program where we answer your questions. And we appreciate your questions. We really do. Thanks so much for sending along such interesting questions to us. It's easy to get them to us. Send them to editor at drivingtoday.com, editor at drivingtoday.com. We'll answer them in an upcoming show. And let's, um, let's take a question from William in Fargo, North Dakota. 
Uh, kind of a timely question. Is the auto strike going to mean I will pay a lot more for my next new car? What do you think about that, Chris? <laughs> well, I, <laughs> I think it depends on where and, and how and from whom you buy your next new car, right? The only striking auto workers right now are for Ford, GM, and Stellantis, which is Jeep, uh, Chrysler, Dodge, Alfa Romeo, a bunch of others that, that aren't made in the United States. So uh, I think, yes, you might actually pay more for one of those vehicles, especially since the UAW targeted uh, strategically the more popular models in their early stages of the strike. So like the Ford Bronco, the Jeep Wrangler, and those sorts of things. If you're buying a Toyota, if you're buying a Tesla, if you're buying a Honda or a Nissan, you're probably not going to see too much. Although the overflow from American brands may drive demand to those brands and have sort of a, a trickle down or trickle up effect, whatever you want to call it. So um, I think that, you know, hopefully it gets resolved soon. Uh, but if it drags on, yeah, I think we could see some some price increases. So what do you think? Yeah, I think uh, your analysis is a good one. I think in selected models, you might see you know, some fairly serious price increases. In others, not so much. As you mentioned, it's uh, just the domestic American-based uh, manufacturers. You know, certainly there's a lot of American production from <laughs> from uh, companies that uh, whose headquarters are on foreign shores. Uh, that's very important these days, and uh, it doesn't extend to them. Most of them, I've, virtually all of them, are non-union workers, not part of the United Auto Workers at all. So, we're liable to see uh, here and there price increases. I don't think it's going to be a big deal and uh, probably a blip compared to what we saw with COVID-19 and, and that kind of stuff that uh, we've been dealing with and are still dealing with in the marketplace. Uh, that's been a, a much bigger factor than uh, this auto strike of just a few manufacturers going to be. I agree. Let's take another question. Kate in Colorado Springs says this. I'm looking at small SUVs, and I want to know your opinion of the Honda CRV and the Hyundai Tucson. How do they compare? Are there other SUVs like them I should look at? Yeah, I think those are both great choices, and I think you're going to have a really tough uh, decision between them if you go and drive them, especially if you're driving the hybrid. You know, the Honda CRV hybrid drives uh, better than the standard model. It's quicker. It feels more engaging. You know, the, the Hyundai Tucson also is available in, in the hybrid model. I think we can't forget to mention the Toyota RAV4, especially since you can get the Prime, the RAV4 Prime, which is a plug-in hybrid model. Uh, very nice, very quick, uh, powerful model there. The Kia Sportage is also a good choice. You know, all these recently updated compact and subcompact SUVs, Jack, the, the market is full of these things, and they're all pretty pretty good. Absolutely. They're all pretty good. You know, one go-to used to be the, the Mazda uh, CX-5. And now Mazda has kind of changed up its lineup, and I'm not sure exactly which Mazda I would point to as the straight-up competitor to the CRV in Tucson, probably CX-5 too, but then there is also the CX-50, right, that uh, is also in the marketplace, so uh, confusing. Um, we certainly like Mazdas for their driving dynamics, so I always put in a little, little word for them, but heaven knows the Hyundai Tucson, the Honda CRV. My daughter drives a Toyota RAV4 and has loved it uh, for the many years she's driven it. You know, longevity is certainly one of their strong suits. So Kate's probably going to run into some weather in Colorado Springs. Um, another one, you know, Subaru models are, are some things that she might look at, look at, too. Certainly very popular in Colorado. Yeah, and certainly, you know, we can't forget, which I usually do, and I, I forgive, forgive me, Nissan, for this. But the Nissan Rogue is a great choice, too. It's surprisingly nice. 
I think some of the the popularity issues there for them might mean you get a good deal on a Rogue, especially as you come to the end of the model year. Uh, and they're really nice inside. And, you know, the Mitsubishi Outlander, too, which is based on the Rogue, is also pretty good. So, as I said, it's hard to find a bad choice in this segment. I think there are some better ones with longer warranties and things. But, uh, yeah, there are a lot of great, great options. Yeah, Subaru Forester might be something you look at. I like that vehicle quite a bit. And, of course, the tra- Crosstrack is a little bit smaller, but the Subaru Crosstrack is super popular, so... Just another one to look at. There's so many. I mean, I don't know, know that we're helping Kate by <laughs> throwing at her, you know, another six or ten models. I mean, she's looking at two <laughs> really good vehicles, so you, you, I don't think she could go wrong with either of those. I agree. Well, Randy in Waco, Texas has a question. Uh, this is what he says. I was talking to a buddy of mine who lives in California, and he says they are paying almost $6 a gallon for gas out there. <laughs> Tell me about it. Tell me about it, Randy. Uh, it's just 350 or so here. Why is there such a big difference? Well, Jack, I might have to turn this one over to you because uh, Maine is typically more expensive than a lot of East Coast states. And we are still, I think I paid 417 for a for premium the other day. So we're still well behind you guys. What's going on? I mean, it's absolutely obscene, I think, in California, you know, where I live these days. And uh, gas is, is really Close to $6 a gallon in a lot of places. It's in the high fives per gallon. And there's a lot of reasons for it. One of the reasons is that uh, California is separated by you know mountain ranges uh, from other areas of the country. And not that much oil comes across the, the Rocky Mountains or across the Sierra Nevadas. Uh, so most of it comes either from domestic here in California, where they have cut down production rather ra- radically, or uh, from overseas ports. And uh, then there are very few refineries. We haven't built a new refinery in California, I think in 40 or 50 years. And at the same time, we've added incredible numbers in terms of population. So uh, the combination results in very high gas prices that could be fixed if we did a few things, but uh, it doesn't appear (laughs) that... uh, you know, governmentally here in California, they're they're too desirous of lowering gas prices, which is a, a bit amazing. Yeah, it looks like you guys are moving in the opposite direction, actually. So uh, we'll have to see how things go. Yeah, I mean, it really kind of um, hurts everybody out here who drives. You, it's hard to get to work if you don't drive in California. So, I mean, I'm smiling, but it certainly is a hardship from what I've read and, and seen from many, many people online and, and on social media. So, uh, I can definitely definitely see, you know, gas vehicles aren't going away tomorrow, so we have to do something to make them usable and at least sustainable while we have them. Yeah, and they're not going away for decades. I think uh, you know, even earlier in the show we alluded to that, that uh, a lot of car companies are, are finding it difficult to compete in the uh, electric vehicle market. And one of the reasons is there's just not a ton of demand out there. It's not like 50% of the people really want to buy an electric vehicle. Uh, we've, we've seen uh, that they pretty much don't. So we're going to see... Uh, gasoline-powered vehicles for a long, long time. And uh, fuel prices are going to continue to uh, be an issue, I think, going forward. (laughs) Well, tell us what's going on at YourTestDriver.com, Chris. I'm sure there's a bunch of cool stuff going on there. Yeah, YourTestDriver.com is partnering again, as I mentioned last week, with the Skip Barber Racing School and the Team O'Neill Rally School up here in New Hampshire. We're going to revive this giveaway starting uh, in a couple of days now, we're going to give away a one-day driving pass to both of these schools. Uh, I should point out that, you know, despite the fact that you're far away, a lot of people are far away from these schools, these are thousands of dollars worth of prizes that we're giving away. Uh, so it could really give give you a foot in the door. And these are really nice schools. Like, professional drivers go to Skip Barber, and Skip Barber has a lot of 
uh, teams and, and drivers that it, that it sponsors and work with. So if you want to get your foot in the door of motorsport and learn, uh, I think either of these is a great way to do it, and we're going to get you started for free. Yeah, very, very cool stuff. Driving schools are just terrific. Not only have I been through some, but my middle daughter has been through a driving school. I've been through several. I'd love to go to the rally school, though. I think that would really be a blast. And, you know, that kind of driving just kind of appeals to me. So uh, a lot to like there. That's yourtestdriver.com. So check that out. Uh, if you'd like, on a wholly different kind of level, check out my newest book, Dance in the Dark. It's a crime thriller inspired by true crime. Crime is a bit of a passion of mine. I don't commit them, but I, I do write about criminals uh, very frequently. I don't commit criminals, and I don't commit crime. I guess I, I should commit cr- criminals to uh, uh, maybe something to uh, better days ahead, I suppose. Uh, if you like our show, please pass it on. Uh, we'd love to have you pass it along to uh, somebody who'd care about the show, like the show. And uh, I think if you like cars, you probably like America on the Road. Uh It's easy to get a version of our show, isn't it, Chris? It is. If you go to sportsmapradio.com, you can find us on the Saturday morning schedule right there at 7 a.m. On our page, you can find our formatted radio show as well as our podcast on all the major platforms, Apple, Spotify, uh, and all the others. So I encourage everyone to to download on your favorite platform. Yeah. Our thanks to the Sportsmap Radio Network stations for carrying America on the road. We do appreciate that. And I love the radio. I love listening to the show coming out of the radio speaker. That is very, very cool. And uh, thanks so much to you for listening to America on the Road. We know you have a lot of choices. So uh, the fact that you've chosen to listen to America on the Road is, is very special to us. We do appreciate it. And we hope you'll join us again next time for another edition of America on the Road. I got this letter from a reader the other day, and I thought I'd share it with you. I'm on vacation on the beach in Key Biscayne and just finished reading Dance in the Dark. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Great plot and twists I never saw coming. You're really good at creating visual images. Congrats. You made my vacation all that more enjoyable. This is just the kind of feedback an author loves to hear. I'm Jack Nerad, host of America on the Road and the author of Dance in the Dark, a crime novel inspired by true crime. Many have told me that Dance in the Dark has all the realism of fatal photographs, my true crime account of the famous bathing suit model murder case. That's great to hear because Dance in the Dark is filled with suspense, plot twists, and surprises. But at the same time, it's a believable story in the tradition of writers like James M. Cain, Jim Thompson, and Elroy Leonard. Dance in the Dark is available in paperback and Kindle ebook form from Amazon.com. And it's available direct from the publisher emlancy.com as well. If you have a chance, please look for it. If it makes your vacation better, we'll both be happy. That's Dance in the Dark by Jack Arnie Red at Amazon.com or emlancy.com. Thanks for giving it a look. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call. Click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.